Thank you for sharing that, Horeb. That was really good. Well, welcome, everyone, to Challenge. My name's Eric, if I haven't met you. Uh, we are, hello, we're continuing our, <laughs> we're continuing our, uh, our series on how to be an awesome friend tonight. I'm going to start this evening by telling you about a time that I was not an awesome friend. In fact, I was a, a terrible friend. Uh, this is the summer of my last year of school, my, my grad year, and I took part in a program that Challenge does over the summer called Project Impact. Project Impact is a, <laughs> it's a summer program where it's an opportunity to spend time with, with other, other people in Challenge, studying the word together, reading books, praying together, getting training in, in your walk with God. A really great program. Who's, who's done Project Impact and would say you've benefited from it? Yeah, a lot of hands. Um, you don't have a lot of summers in college, so if you are um, looking for a good way to spend it, I would uh, encourage you to take a look at Project Impact. This year that I did it, it was a small group. It was just six of us, three guys and three girls. And one of the things that, um, one of the things we agreed to to be part of Project Impact that summer is that we would not date over the summer. We were, we were all single, so it wasn't like interrupting any relationship or anything like that. The idea was we would be focused on our walks with God. We would really be focused that summer on growing in our faith and spending the time, you know, on other things than, than dating, um, which can be distracting. Now, as you can imagine, if you get three single guys and three single girls together and they're giving up their summer to pursue God together, attraction is bound to happen. And so I, <laughs> uh, I became attracted to, to one of the girls there. She's really funny. She's really smart and pretty. And so I logged that into the back of my brain because we're not allowed to date. There's a ban on dating. But logged that in the back of my brain. I'm going to ask her out when the summer ends. Now, one of the guys in, in, the, uh, in Project Impact, one of my best friends, um, we had led Bible studies together before. We lived in Bonsalo together. Um, we had talked all summer about how, how excited we were just to lead, you know, together the next, next year and, and put all these things we had been learning over the summer into practice. He was going to be a senior. I was going to be um, a grad student. Now, we're sitting in Bonsalo about two weeks before the end of summer, and we're just chatting, and he says, so do you, do you like anyone? And I say, well, yes, I do, and I, and I give the name. He says, oh, he doesn't say anything. So I said, do you like anyone? He's like, oh, yeah. And he gives the same name. So I'm internally screaming. Uh, but I keep my cool on the outside. And I say, well, summer's still going on. We're not allowed to date. This conversation's probably illegal. You know, <laughs> let's just, let's revisit this after. Let's pray, think about it, and we can talk about this in two weeks. He thought that was a good idea. So I start praying. And as I'm praying, I feel as if God is putting it on my heart to step down, to let him ask her out first, with the intention that if it doesn't go well, I could ask her out after, <laughs> in good faith, without any hard feelings, right? And so uh, this is what I'm feeling like God is leading me to do. And it's always good, as Horeb said, to get advice on these things. So I go to Neil, who's the director of Challenge um, at this time, and he, he was mentoring me, and I... And I Talked to him about the situation. He's like, oh, this exact same thing has happened to me. I liked a girl. My best friend liked this girl. And I stepped down. And they got married. <laughs> it's, like, it's not what I wanted to hear, Neil, but thank you. Um, and so Neil says, well, look, you can just trust God with this. And if you are meant to be with her, eventually you will. And if you're not, you can just get out of the way faster. That makes sense. So that's what I did. Summer ends, and I told him, hey, I'm going to step down. You can ask her out first. And he asked her out, and he asked her out again. 
and again, because it's going very well. Um, they are enjoying each other quite a bit. And, and you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to trust God during all this. Now, something else is happening in parallel to this at Bonsalo. We were having a lot of trouble with certain people not doing their chores. We had a list of chores that we were supposed to do every week. We divvied it up, and some of us were doing their chores. Some of us weren't. And I'm sure you can guess which category my friend was in. <laughs> he was not doing his chores. And so I became very frustrated, very irritated, very annoyed, but I didn't say anything. Just kind of let it sit and fester in my heart. Just, just this irritation. And so he thought that I was just jealous and angry at him for dating the girl. And there was some of that in there for sure. Uh, but there was, you know, this whole thing with the chores. And so he grew frustrated and irritated too. And this friendship, which started off the summer, you know, we were super close, planning all these great things and how we were going to lead together and challenge the next semester became like the plot of a, a Disney Channel movie where... Two friends like the same girl and their relationship falls apart. And we really didn't relate to each other that whole semester. Just icy and, and just kind of, it wasn't like it was before. So the question is, why was I a bad friend? Is it because I liked the same girl as him? Well, no. That happens all the time. There's probably people in this room who like the same people. Panic. I know it's not what you want to hear, but <laughs> it's probably, probably true. Um, is he a bad friend because he didn't do his chores? No. He's not. Because if the qualifi qualification for being an awesome friend were perfection, none of us would be awesome friends. None of us would have friends. That's an impossible standard. Why was I a bad friend? These verses explain it in Ephesians chapter 4, going into uh, chapter 5. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I didn't do any of that, right? I was a bad friend because I didn't forgive. I, I never went to clear up that relationship. Rather, I let the frustration sit and, and fester and rot inside my heart. I did not put away all bitterness and anger, and, and my friend really didn't either, and we just kind of spiraled from there. Guys, friendship is, is messy. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. We all, we all do wrong towards each other. Even the closest friends are going to mess up and, and rub each other the wrong way and irritate each other. And so the awesome friend is, is not one that is perfect, but the awesome friend is one who cares enough about the relationship to seek to restore it when it is fractured, because all relationships fracture at some point. They forgive. That's what we're called to do as believers and as followers of Jesus Christ. And so in order to be an awesome friend, we need to learn to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. So tonight, we're going to take a deeper look at what that actually means. How did Jesus forgive us? And then how can we imitate that as Ephesians is talking about here in order to be the awesome friends that we all want to be? And to do that, we're going to take a look at the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18. So to start, I'm just going to read through the whole parable, and then we're going to talk about it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we're going to go back to the beginning here. And verse 24 talks about the servant owes 10,000 talents. Now, what is a talent? Well, a talent represents 20 years of wages. So essentially, what this is saying is that this man owes 200,000 years worth of labor. That is a big debt. You think student loans are big. This is much, much Bigger and I, like, how, how did he even get in this debt? I wonder. Many bad decisions, I'm sure. The point is, this is a unimaginable sum, something he could never, ever pay off. And in the parable, this is symbolic of the problem that we all face: sin. We all owe a debt to God that we can never pay off because we have decided to disobey God in some way. Romans 3:23 says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of the standard." that God has set for us, and the standard that he has the right to set as the creator of us all, the creator of everything. I think a lot of people think, you know, I'm a good person at heart. We, we see things on TV like mass shootings and all these horrible things that happen, and we think, well, there's the sinner, but I'm, I just make mistakes, you know, but I'm a pretty good person. But when you compare to the holiness of God, which is what we ought to be comparing ourselves to, not to other people, his perfection, his righteousness, it's clear. We, we just do not measure up. We all fall short. We've all disobeyed and dishonored the very one who created us. And as verse 25 says there, payment has to be made. There is a penalty for that. Romans 6.23 talks about that. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for rebellion against God. And not just physical death, but spiritual death, being separated from him in his presence. Now that's heavy to hear, right? That's Unpleasant to hear, but that is the truth that faces all of us. And that's the truth that the servant in the parable finds himself up against. This just staggering, staggering debt that he owes and has no hope to pay. In verse 26, it's interesting. He says, well, just give me more time, right? Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And at first, maybe it seems like he's, he's noble. He's trying, right? He's trying to make things right. But, but think about that for a second. Be patient. For 200,000 years. It's impossible. Right? It just doesn't make sense. You can just think of the interest that would accrue in 200,000 years. Like there's no way he can pay off the debt. And that's the point. I think sometimes we approach our sin like that. If we, if we think if we just do enough good, maybe we can pay it off. Maybe we can tip the scale. If I just have more time, you know, I can, I can make up for it. Just give me one more chance and I'll, I'll change. But there's, there's no amount of good that can, that can cover us for our sin. Can't go to church more, can't give more to charity. 
we're all like this servant here, hopelessly in debt. If not, for the mercy of the master. And that's what we see in the next verse, verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity, not out of his merit, not, after, not of the good he's done or the promise of future good, but out of the goodness of the master, the kindness and the great of, grace of the master. He is fully forgiven of his debt. And could you imagine what that would have been like? 200,000 years of labor just gone just in an instant. The weight, the, the weight of that gone, the debt gone. This man's life changed. And that is the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. That is the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. There is a debt, it must be paid. We deserve to die. But Jesus died in our place. We deserve God's wrath for our sin, but Jesus took that in our place. Jesus came to earth. He lived a holy life, perfect, never sinned. But he died on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserve on himself. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he was indeed God. And the gospel, the good news is that if you repent, if you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, the debt is gone. That death sentence is gone, and we get to be in relationship with God forever. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news, that we, through the forgiveness of Christ, can be reconciled to God forever. And that is the standard for forgiveness. That is how we are to forgive too. And that's what Jesus is teaching here in this parable in Matthew chapter 18. If we are to be friends who forgive just as God in Christ forgave us, as Ephesians is talking about, Ephesians chapter 4, it's not about saying a certain set of words. It's not about doing a certain set of things on the outside, smiling when they're around or anything like that. Forgiveness, as Jesus forgives, is all about canceling debt. It's about canceling debt of those who, who owe us. When someone wrongs you, they owe you something, a debt of some kind, right? They've taken something from you, your security, your trust, your time, your money maybe, but they owe you in some way. And how can you get that back? How do they pay you back? With money, sure, they can give you the money back, but how do, how do you pay someone back for losing trust or a cruel word? What is like the dollar amount on, on that? I'm not sure you can do nice things for that person, but it'll, it'll never quite be the same because there's a, a debt there. So true forgiveness is canceling debt without them paying you anything back, living as though no debt exists. None of this, you know, well, you better be nice to me from now on, or as long as you do all your chores, like, we'll be good. No, it's, it's acting like no debt exists. You go forward with nothing between you anymore. The relationship is restored. You love them, serve them, celebrate them, pray for them, all these things. No debt exists. Why? Because that is what God has done for you. For those who are in Jesus Christ, there is nothing between us and God. We are reconciled to him. We get to be in relationship with him forever, which is amazing news. And so, in response to that, an awesome friend forgives, likewise. But, as you heard in my story, we don't, we don't tend to forgive like that, do we? And you probably all know from, from stories of your own. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we can grow bitter, we develop malice, we have this frustration, we hold on to the debt. And so Jesus doesn't end the parable here in this happy ending. He goes on in verse 28, and we see this. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now the first observation here, this debt was not trivial. He owes 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii represents 100 days of labor, certainly less than 200,000 years, certainly less, but still significant. 100 days' worth of labor is a lot. There is a legitimate damage done to this man, legitimate damage. He was legitimately owed. The point of this parable isn't to belittle wrong that's been done about us. Ah, just get over it. No, there, there is a real debt here. The point of the parable is to challenge you to respond to that differently in light of how God has responded to you, how your debt was handled by God. The man here, he's faced with the exact same situation in the reverse, right? Here he is faced with this other servant who can't pay his debt. But rather than cancel his debt in return, he demands payment. He even goes a little further, doesn't he? And he, he starts choking the other man. He starts looking to damage him, get revenge on him. Despite the amazing forgiveness he just received, he, he, his character isn't changed. His heart is, heart is hard towards this other person. And I think the question that this raises, is that what's going on with you right now? With some of your friends or former friend, perhaps. Maybe you aren't choking them or throwing them in prison, but th there's other things we do. We give them the silent treatment. We talk bad about them behind their back with our, with our other friends. Anytime they do something good, we remind ourselves of that one time they did something wrong, right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. We don't look to serve them, love them, pray for them. Why would we? They don't deserve it. They wronged us. That's a terrible friend, right? That's being a terrible friend. Because you see, even if you verbally say, I forgive you, even if you smile when they come in the room, if you're still holding a debt, that's not forgiveness. Because forgiveness is about canceling debt. It's a heart issue. It's not a verbal thing we do, not an outward behavioral issue. This is a heart issue. Keeping debt is not forgiveness. In the next passages, Jesus shows us how God views a lack of forgiveness. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I think the, the reaction here of the servants is quite telling. They are greatly distressed. They're greatly distressed. It's a distressing thing, a lack of forgiveness. Maybe we don't see a difference they're in the middle of it, but other people on the outside can see it. And the master is angered. He calls him a wicked servant. This is wrong. This is sin. Not forgiving others is sinful. Because the response that God commands in view, is, uh, in view of his mercy is to be merciful in return. That's what verse 33 says. As I had mercy on you. Now what does verse 34 and 35 mean? At first that could be maybe scary. Seems like if you don't forgive, God's going to take away your forgiveness or something like that. Well, that's not what this is saying. Rather, this is pointing to the consequences of a lack of forgiveness in our life. Because if you think about it, in the, in the parable, this man's life is totally ruined, right? His life is totally 
ruined. Even though he had been forgiven, he ends up right in the same place. His life is totally ruined. His life is destroyed. There are consequences in this life for not forgiving. And the passage also hints at some of the eternal consequences as well. This word that we see, jailers, um, delivered him to the jailers. In the original language, it's the word for torturers. And it's, it's an allusion to the eternal judgment in hell for those who do not receive Jesus's forgiveness. The implication here is that though the offer of forgiveness is extended to this man, he did not understand it, nor did he accept it. And his reaction to his debts shows us that. His heart towards his debt shows us that. Your attitude towards the forgiveness of others can demonstrate if you truly understand how Jesus forgave you. So I'm not sure where you stand today. Perhaps you are a believer. You've accepted the free gift of salvation but you aren't really living in light of that. You are not forgiving in return. Or perhaps you've never accepted the forgiveness of Jesus in the first place. Either way, what verse 35 is trying to say is there, there's torment and trouble ahead for you if you do not forgive. Um, in this life, right, it's a lifetime of friendships that don't last, a lifetime of broken relationships, of awkwardly avoiding people that you used to love and cherish, and if you never turn to Jesus, you never accept his forgiveness, eternal consequences and eternity separated from him in judgment of your sin, because there is a debt, payment is owed. Either Jesus pays it, or, or you do. See, what this parable is showing us is forgiveness leads to life. Forgiveness leads to life, and a lack of forgiveness takes life away. A lack of forgiveness takes life away. Forgiveness is not easy. All right, we all know that. It's not easy. There is really a debt there, but it certainly is worth it. And if you want to be an awesome friend and have awesome friends, you're going to need to learn to forgive people from the heart because no one is perfect. Everyone messes up. So how then do we forgive from the heart as, as Jesus is instructing us here if you do not forgive your brother from your heart? How do we actually do that? Well, we have to see how, how Jesus forgave us. And I think looking at this parable, there are three principles that I see. We need to forgive first, we need to forgive fully, and we need to forgive forever. First, fully, and forever. We'll start with first. In the story, the servant never actually asked for forgiveness. He asked for more time to pay it off, but he never asked to be forgiven. He never asked for that debt to be canceled. Rather, the master offers it to him first. The master takes the initiative, and this is what Jesus does with us. If we take a look at Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, we see this. For while we were still weak, weak mean sinful, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is not not teaching that Jesus' death means everyone goes to heaven. That's called universalism, and that's not true. You still need to accept it. You still need to repent, to turn from your sin and accept Jesus' forgiveness. But what this is saying is that God didn't wait for us to realize we needed him before he initiated his plan. Right? He sent Jesus First, he offers forgiveness to us. First, he takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. 
we look at the context of this parable, right before this, Jesus is teaching the disciples about forgiveness. And he says this in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Go. We're called to take initiative. We're called to go extend forgiveness first. If a friend has wronged us, we are called to go clear that up. Exactly what I did not do with my friend in the story, right? I just held it in. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to forgive first. We care enough about our relationship to go seek to restore it. Now, we do have to note that it says, if he listens, if he listens to you, there's no guarantee that they will say sorry. They may not even think they did anything wrong. But we are still called to take the initiative. We can still offer forgiveness even if they don't accept it. Because that's what Jesus does. Right? That's what Jesus does. He's accepted forgiveness to many people who never turn to him, who mock him and spit at him and want nothing to do with him. But he still extends forgiveness, the offer, to them. Now, hopefully they, they accept it, right? Hopefully they, they realize that they were wrong and they listen. The, the point here is reconciliation. That's the ideal outcome. But even if they don't, we can still have peace in our hearts knowing that we did what we were supposed to do. We were offering forgiveness, going and extending it, because that's what God does to us. He forgives first. So to be an awesome friend, we have to forgive first as well. Now, what if you're on the other side? What if you're the person who incurred the debt? What are you supposed to do? Well, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 23. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, a debt, right? Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We're called to take initiative again, right? If we've done the wrong, to go seek the forgiveness of the person who we owe. This is a priority in our lives. Before we even continue worshiping, go. That's what we're called to do. You admit you're wrong. You change your ways. You take the initiative. Now imagine, wouldn't that be awesome if you, you had a friend who willingly and consistently went up to you, approached you, and asked your forgiveness when they messed up? That is an awesome friend, right? That's the type of friend that we need to be. If we are to forgive as Jesus forgave us, we need to forgive first. We take the initiative. The second thing is we forgive fully, fully. The master in the parable forgives all the talents, could you imagine if he said, you know what, take 5,000 talents off, only 100,000 years, and we'll call it even? That doesn't make sense. Right? It's the same with God. Imagine if Jesus says to us, well, I forgave most of your sins. That would be horrible, horrible to hear. Right? Partial forgiveness is worthless. It's worthless. Why? Debt. There's still a debt there, and forgiveness is about canceling debt. Partial forgiveness is worthless. It's not even forgiveness at all. Jesus forgives us fully, everything. We see this in 1 John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, uh, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sin, all unrighteousness. God forgives us fully. He cancels the entire debt, and that, and that is what we are called to do too. Now, full forgiveness may take some time. 
right? It's difficult to forgive. You may feel like you've fully forgiven, only later to realize, no, I'm I'm still holding on to something between this person. Um, There might be some healing that needs to happen. I, I know there are people out here who have had some very difficult things happen to them, some great wrongs, far worse than not doing dishes and not doing chores, right? It might take some time, but we are called to persevere and keep at it if we are going to forgive as Jesus forgave, because he forgives fully. And again, imagine, imagine if you had a friend who every time you messed up, because you mess up a lot, they fully forgave you and never held that against you again. Again, that is an awesome friend, right? We need to forgive fully. And the last one is we forgive forever, because Jesus forgives forever. Right before this parable, Um, Peter asks Jesus a a question, which actually launches this parable. He says this in uh, verse 21 of Matthew 18. Peter came up up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes into the parable. Um, Now, why does Peter say seven times? Where does that number come from? Well, in the Jewish tradition at the time, three was considered the standard for forgiveness. That's what the rabbis were teaching. If you forgave someone three times, you're doing pretty good. Now, if you think about it, that's quite a lot of times. I mean, imagine if someone just like punched you in the gut or something, you forgive them, then they do that again. I'm finished. Like, I'm not forgiving you anymore. <laughs> and that's, two is already a lot. So three, three, that's quite a lot of time. So Peter, maybe here he's trying to appear super generous and pious seven times. Uh, maybe he's anticipating what Jesus is going to say because he's seen how often Jesus forgives. I, I don't know exactly why. The Bible doesn't tell us. But, but Jesus' response shows us the truth. Seventy-seven times is the standard. This is hyperbole, right? Seventy-eight, it's not like that ends it. The point is you forgive forever, Always, there is no limit to how many times you forgive someone. 77 times. It's a lot more than three, a lot more than seven. You forgive forever. Surely, right, you would need to to write them off. No, that's not what the Bible says. And again, why? Because that's what God does with us. We've wronged him many more times than 77 times. We wrong him again. Every single stray thought, every stupid thing that we've done, Even when we say, I'll never do that again, and then you do it again, and again, and again, God forgives us every single time, forever. And an awesome friend does that as well. Now, you should approach this with wisdom, right? We need to approach this with wisdom. If you have someone who's constantly punching you in the stomach, you maybe should keep back from them a little bit and not not hang out with them as much, but... If, if you invite them over and they punch you, you, you are called to forgive every single time. So just prepare yourself. Um, think through things. But that's the standard. We are called to forgive forever, every single time, no limit. That is how God in Christ forgave us. He forgave us first, fully, and forever. And that's what it means to forgive your friend from the heart. That's what we're called to do, to be awesome friends to one another. So what do you think would happen if you put that into practice? Like, what, how do you think your friendships would change and your other relationships as well? Well, let me tell you the end of the story with me and my friend. Um, he is my friend. <laughs> we come back from winter break, haven't talked. We're like, we need to talk. We need to figure this out. Um, so we go to Blaze Pizza by Gateway. And uh, 
And we like don't say anything. We're eating the pizza. It's really awkward. We're both prideful as heck and like not wanting to start the conversation. Um, we finished the pizza. I'm like, man, we're going to have to do this again because we didn't say anything. And he says, let's go for a walk. So we go for a walk for two hours around campus, just circling campus, <laughs> talking about all of this, talking, just letting it all out there. Um, and by the end of it, you know, we, we forgave each other fully. We forgave each other fully. We got through all of it, cleared it all up, and the relationship was restored. Our friendship was back. Now, why? It wasn't because we just said, I forgive you, and called it a day. No, we worked through to cancel the debts that were owed. And there were debts on, on both sides, right? We said, let's move on together in friendship. And that's what we did. And it was like this just giant weight dropped off our backs. This thing that we had been holding on to for a whole semester, just wasting a whole semester, the debt was gone. And guess what? After that, he always did all of his chores perfectly, and I never had any jealous thoughts ever again. That's not what happened. Um, not even close. In fact, we had to have very similar conversations many times throughout the semester, except this time they weren't two hours. Um, this time we, we had them quite quickly. The difference was we proactively went and sought to restore the friendship when we were imperfect as we usually were. We weren't prideful idiots who <laughs> just held on to things. Rather, we sought to restore things. We cared enough about the relationship to seek to restore it when it became fractured. And of course it became fractured. It always, it always does. And you know what, he is, he is still one of my best friends to this day. I was the best man at his wedding to that girl because they got married. Neil was right. <laughs> um, my wife and I just got dinner with them last Friday, and they're some of our dearest friends to this day. That all would have been gone. It's totally gone if we hadn't forgiven, if we had held on to that debt. I'm very glad that we canceled the debt in our hearts and moved forward together, not just saying some words, not just putting on a smile or you know, niceties at church or anything like that, but truly, truly forgiving. Forgiving as God in Christ forgave us. He is an awesome friend. I'm very thankful that, that he's still in my life. Guys, if you're expecting an awesome friend to be perfect, good luck. You're just not going to find that. It doesn't exist. Why? We sin. We incur debt. That's how it is. Friendships are not perfect, but Jesus Christ cancels the debt. He extends forgiveness to us first, fully, and forever. And praise God for that, because we need that. And to be an awesome friend, that's what we need to do, too. We need to forgive like Jesus forgave first, fully, and forever. So to end, to end tonight, I leave us with the charge Paul gives us in Ephesians 4 again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for the truth of this passage the truth of your forgiveness, just um, what that means for us all here. Pray that you'd help us um, process that, realize that, accept that, 
you know very well, Lord, how much we need forgiveness, how, how much we incurred debt. I'm very grateful that you forgive. Thank you so much for my friend, too. Thank you for the lessons you taught us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just bring to mind um, for all of us today people who we have debts against and that we would we'd have the courage and the uh, humility to go and extend forgiveness to them just as you have done to us. So thank you, God, so much for who you are, that we can trust you, that we can imitate you and follow you. I pray that we would do that in your name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Would you all stand as we continue in worship? <clears throat>